Since 2007, the Paul Meredith team at CityCan Financial has prided themselves on providing a better mortgage experience than you'll get anywhere else. Paul and his team will guide you through the home financing process with professional quality advice, exceptional service, and mortgage rates tailored to meet your specific needs. Their goal is to treat all of their clients the same way they would if they were doing a mortgage for their own mothers. They want to provide you with a wow experience with your mortgage from industry-leading low rates to giving their clients the rock star treatment. The Paul Meredith team would love to have the opportunity to help you out on your next mortgage and show you why they have over 300 five-star reviews on Google. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to On The Way Home, a podcast that talks about all things uh, regarding housing, homelessness, the challenges, the successes, the wonderful stories. And I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Stefania. How are you doing today, Michael? You know, it's a little dark and gloomy in Ontario, but hey, there's no snow, so I will take that. (laughs) And listen... There's lots of cool things happening at Blue Door. I want to tell you about one of them. Uh, we recently opened up a new program called Inclusion, and it's a program for 2S LGBTQ uh, um, plus um, youth, and it's the first one in York Region. And we knew there was a gap. Amazing. The research showed us and helped the politicians understand that, um, but it's supportive housing. It's really cool. Uh, for for youth and we hope to build on that and push it forward so we're very very proud of that right now um, youth would have to go south into Toronto and that, that's it actually I was going to say north but there's nothing north of us uh, either so it, it uh, fills a big gap so always lots of cool things happening yeah awesome well congratulations that's really that's really exciting work to hear about yeah we definitely need more and more of those types of programs absolutely what's happening at CAH anything new and exciting I mean, I think we are just doing our best, uh, honestly. (laughs) And right now, uh, you know, we're we're planning our virtual conference that's happening in November, which we're excited about because I think it's going to be a lot more accessible um, for folks, uh, you know, across Canada to attend who maybe couldn't before, um, you know, for for various barriers of traveling or getting time off work and that sort of thing. So yeah, we're just going all in and hoping to get that that rolling. Now, if, if someone, say, from Blue Door or any other organization wanted to find out more about that conference or signing up, where could they go? Uh, well, they can go to conference.cah.ca uh, and find out more. Right now, there's not a lot on there other than the dates. Uh, so pretty soon, uh, I think in May, we're expecting to really roll out uh, the call for presentations. And then soon after, registration will open up, too. Fantastic. Thanks for yeah. sharing. Well, as always, we have another wonderful guest. This one is this guest is someone you know really, really well. Uh, tell me about her. 
I am really excited to have uh, our guest on today. Um, she's an incredible human and one of my favorites. Um, and uh, so her name is Sakani DeKalth. She's from the Glasden Nation and calls the downtown Eastside home. She is passionate about trans rights, sex worker rights, and harm reduction. Like many of her peers, Sakani knows firsthand how stigma around drug use acts as a barrier to accessing health care. She has worked as a vendor with Megaphone, a monthly magazine based in the downtown Town Eastside and Victoria, BC for years and officially joined the team in 2018 to help build the amazing Speakers Bureau. And through that work, she's dedicated to spreading awareness of everyone's right to health care and challenging audiences to look past the sometimes narrow ideas that they have of drug users. So welcome to the show, Sakani. Yay. <laughs> Hi, thank you for having me. So Connie, welcome, welcome, welcome. It is wonderful to have you join us on the show today. And it's a pleasure to meet you over Zoom. Um, I know you and Steph know each other, but I'm wondering if you'd like to start things off by just telling us a little bit more about yourself and how you came to work with Megaphone as a vendor, and then maybe setting up and, and running Megaphone's Speakers Bureau. Like, how did that all happen? Um, well, I think to start at the beginning when I was um, a vendor, I was, oh, maybe I should say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. Um, but um, I was a vendor, oh God, it was a long, long, long time ago. And um, I heard about this photography contest that they were having. And you get to take foot, um, photographs of the community. And I was living in the downtown east side at that point. Well, I shouldn't say living. I was kind of like going from hotel to hotel and paying paying weekly rates. And I heard about this, the um, photography contest and I was like, wait, you know what, I can do this. And I was really unsure at first of, of going in and saying, you know, well, I, I don't really live anywhere. I'm kind of homeless, you know, I'm in between hotels. And they were just so nice to me and so kind at Megaphone. And they were like, yeah, of course you, you can get a camera. And I got a camera, took some pictures. And then I when I went to return the camera, they kind of filled me in more about like the Megaphone magazine and about the Hope and Shatters calendar and how it works. So I was like, you know, this is an opportunity for me to, to make some money and to work, you know, when I'm well. So I took that opportunity and then um, stayed with them ever since. And now I'm um, lead, a lead facilitator at the Speakers Bureau. And we hold really challenging and sometimes really tough conversations around, um, you know, how do service providers show up better for people who use drugs and, you know, how to just, you know, treat people like human beings. And I really love that job. But I do have to let my cat in the door. I don't know if you can hear that. It's meowing. That's okay. <laughs> Aww. As we speak, I'm, I, one of my kids is actually uh, holding my dog at bay, so I totally understand. <laughs> right, I know my dog is right outside the door. I'm always worried she's going to start barking. Um, so I'll I'll just get us on to our next question, Sakani, because it kind of builds on. Um, so Sakani, one of the things that strikes me most about the Speakers Bureau is not that it's just uh, peer led, but great care has been taken to ensure that the storytellers and speakers share their journey and story in a way that doesn't cause more harm to them. Can you tell us about why that's important and the steps taken so folks share their story in a way that doesn't exploit them, but instead empowers them? Um, I think that 
That that's a really good question. And the reasons that we do it is, like you said, so that we don't perpetuate the harm and cause more harm. I feel like a lot of people, and even myself, when when talking about my experiences, um, can become harmful in the sense that, you know, when when I think of business as usual, people always say that you know business as usual, business as usual. But when it comes to um, you know, folks sharing their rawness and their stories, it, it can become harmful because there's no um, reciprocity, you know, at the end of the story. And a lot of times people are are looking for that really sad, sad, you know, poor, poor me story, you know, and that's what I mean by business as usual. People are so used to that. And sometimes, you know, that does drive people to donate, yes. But I think stories of resilience and stories of, um, of, you know, how did people survive and how did people thrive through their their bad experiences are really, really the most valuable pieces in connecting with other people. Absolutely. And um, I know telling your story is one of the ways that you're working to counteract that stigma and normalize those experiences. Um, and I, I just thought, you know, I know this is something that's important to you and that you wanted to share, but I wanted to ask why you started using drugs and how they've impacted your life. Um, that's kind of a, it's a long story and I'll try to wrap it up into a, <laughs> into a response that's, you know, digestible. Um, I think for myself, when I, when I first started using drugs, I was in a really dark place and I didn't have a lot of support. I was estranged from my family. And I don't, I don't want people to get to thinking like, these are all excuses that I'm making. I think some, some things, um, some barriers that I did face along the way of like being estranged, being homeless, um, being somebody that was really, I was transitioning at this point too. So somebody, I was somebody that was really struggling with my identity and figuring out where I fit into my community or society in general. And I remember going to places and, um, you know, trying to find work and, you know, trying to find like um, just a place to be, you know, a place, a place to be accepted and to be welcomed. And there were a lot of employers that were like, you know, I don't think my customers would understand you. I don't think they would get you, you know? And um, and I got that, I understood because, you know, society was at like a different time back then. And, and it still is sometimes a struggle um, to gain acceptance and to garner acceptance. But um, I think one of the, the big reasons was that I was struggling with my identity and I didn't know who I was. And there were a lot of people that were in the same boat as me, like a lot of my peers and um, that we were, you know, we were all hanging around the same places and, you know, they kind of just said, this is what I do just to, to keep myself safe, you know, mentally and physically, because there were a lot of moments in my life when I was, you know, like sleeping in, um, in like car parkades and stuff and sleeping outside where, you know, you couldn't really sleep. You kind of rested a little bit. And if you did fall asleep, you know, something bad might happen. Like, you know, um, sometimes, you know, people like people would um, like harass us or, you know, throw things at us or throw things on us, you know, like water and stuff. And so we always, we always found that like, if we are able to use substances, we can kind of cope with, with stuff that we weren't ready to, um, I don't know, to digest at that moment. And 
and to also keep ourselves physically safe from, you know, stuff that barriers that we were facing out there. I absolutely understand My story that. is a lot longer than that. My story <laughs> is a lot longer with drug use than that. And it's a lot more complicated and nuanced. But I think when I think of like the raw moments, those were, those were some of the raw moments. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, I, I very much understand that. And I, I've told people before when people uh, make past judgment on people uh, using on uh, who are experiencing homelessness and say that if, if you've spent a few nights out there, you can understand how uh, trying to use to, to cope would play a factor in it. So thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, so given your experience, Sakani, can you share with us how storytelling has helped you and why it's such a meaningful way to make connections? Um, I think the storytelling for, for myself was the biggest um, game changer in, in, you know, one, my employment, two, my mental wellness, and three, connecting with people. Because on the other side of um, stigma, I found the, the quickest way that we found through stigma is to, to, you know, establish a connection between you and I. You know, how are we the same? How, how are we, um, you know, living the same? How are we coping the same? And then also on top of that, you know, what are the differences and challenges and where can we meet to really, you know, break through all those barriers? Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Um, and it's, I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, because one of your goals is breaking down those barriers and stigma. Um, and I just, you know, sort of wanted to ask what makes you so passionate about this work? Um, because it's difficult work, you know, and how do you see storytelling as that um, to sort of build on what you were saying? How do you see it um, sort of helping as a tool against, you know, stigma, prejudice and racism? And can you tell us uh, as well, because I know you're such an active um, member of the community. Can you tell us how you do that through all the work that you do in the downtown east side? Oh God, that's a long question. <laughs> um, I just want to hear you talk so, so much. So I'm just yeah. asking big questions so I can just hear you, hear you talk. Okay. <laughs> and you know, we were, we, we got media training at Speakers Bureau, so. <laughs> and it was, um, but yeah. So I think when I, one of the reasons, one of the big reasons that I'm, I'm still here and that I'm still doing the work that I do is because um, when the fentanyl crisis kind of really started gripping um the whole world i should say especially canada um well i shouldn't say especially i mean like everybody was being impacted by it um I, we lost our my brother to to overdose and we lost him in a in a in a, um, a municipality that you know didn't really believe in you know everybody needs to carry naloxone you know, in the downtown east side, we were really lucky because like pretty much everybody had it and you can go to any door and someone would have it. 
you know, um, where we lost them was in the space where people thought, you know, unions thought that, oh, it's not fair that, you know, our employees um, need to carry it. You know, which, which to me was a little bit crazy because the people were like first responders, you know, and I'm thinking like, what the hell? Wow, how are first responders not carrying this? Like, it felt like so, such a dark time. And, you know, and then we lost my brother and I, I almost, I almost stopped working then, but then that hitting so close to home and, and, and it wasn't just my brother, it was like friend after friend after friend um, was, was passing away at this point in, um, due to, you know, toxic drugs. Um, you know, every day we were hearing about it and it just really, it struck me that like, I, I, I'm, you know, part of my story, I acknowledge my privilege. I have a lot of privilege when it comes to my peers who I walk beside. There are so many of my peers that, you know, that I that I grew up with. I say grew up because I felt like I grew up in the downtown east side and I was there since I was 19. And a lot of those people that I've walked beside of are all gone, you know, from for one reason or another. And um it just struck me that, you know, I really need to use the privilege that I have because I know that those people that are gone and even the people that I walk beside daily, you know, out on the street, is that they're facing so many barriers that they're not going to be able to stand up here or stand up in front of an audience of like a hundred people and share their story. You know, and I'm, and I'm not doing this to say that they're weak people because they are the most, some of the most strong, you know, people that are facing so many challenges every day, but they still, you know, at the end of the day, they still strive through and they still look at me, you know, and say like, you know, what do you need and how can I help you? Right. So it's, it's like, those are the folks that I really like, I really see the work needs to be done. And, and I see it and I've lived it, you know, my whole life, I've faced a lot of stigma. And, you know, another part of my story that I share in the Speakers Bureau is that sometimes I don't know what it is. Like, sometimes I'll walk into a place and I don't, I don't know if it's like, because I'm Indigenous or if is it because like, maybe they're looking at my medical records, maybe they see like, that I'm, I, I do sex work or that I'm an activist for sex workers or that I've done drugs or that, you know, that I might have like what they might deem as, you know, I'm air quoting, I don't know if people can see this, but chaotic people around. Um, sometimes I don't know what, why I'm receiving, you know, different, different treatment or different judgment. And that's like, I, I don't want people who, who can't stand up because I remember being in that moment where I did face stigma going to my doctor's office and, and I couldn't stand up at that point. And I ended up leaving that doctor's office and not going back for, you know, two, three years, even though I did end up getting a, a really bad um, medical condition due to not, not going back, you know, and I, I don't want that perpetuated and I couldn't, I, I couldn't acknowledge my privilege without going, okay, well, how do I use this privilege? I don't know if that answers that. I, you know, you're, you're standing up and giving a voice to so many and it's, it's so appreciated. Um, talk to us a little bit about what the reception has been like for the Speakers Bureau. Um. I would say the reception has mostly um, been like, you know, there are always going to be like people out there. What do they call them online? Trolls, you know, you know, people who are like really not really identifying themselves and, you know, saying, you know, 
speaking what they feel like is their truth. Um, but mostly it's been a really good, um, we've had a lot of good feedback from the community and from the people that have brought us in to hold these conversations. Um, and people want, want to know more and they wanna expand the conversation. And I think that's where um, it, gets, it gets really important and it shows the need because a lot of the responses we do get are, are like, oh, we've, we're really glad that you came we've never had a conversation like this before. And that's part of our, you know, our, our general opening is that we are holding tough conversations and they are conversations that people have never really had, you know, any sort of meaningfulness around it. You know, sure, sure you might like, in the typical workplace, like my niece, I'll, I'll share, my niece got a job somewhere and they have a problem, air quoting again, a problem with, you know, homeless people and people, you know, they're saying, oh, people that are, um, you know, chaotic and just causing trouble around their business. And my niece went outside and she had to clean up. And there were people, these chaotic, you know, troubled people that they, they, they said. And my niece said, oh, is that garbage? Can I clean it up? Because they had some garbage around them. And they were just shocked. They were like, oh, you know, we've never been talked to before. We've never been asked that. You know, people kind of just yell at us and assume that, you know, that were causing trouble or that were bad people or that were dangerous, you know, and, 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 you know, those are like, and, and it, it struck me and it just kind of, it, it made me cry a little bit because I was really happy for her, but also at the same time, I'm thinking like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of employees and one person, you know, is there saying, let, let's talk to this person. So it shows like, it shows me that there's still a need for these conversations and and that they're really important and that they they are going to change i think the way that people are delivering services is that the hope with the conversations is that what would people what you hope people will take away from the conversations i think the the hope is cuz cuz we do like tailor them as much as we can to what what people's needs are you know, when what their outcomes are, are des what their desired outcomes are. Um, but I think at the end of the days, the hope that, you know, that person that when I speak of my own experience, that person that was, you know, too scared to go back to get medical care and ended up, you know, I got, I ended up having a heart failure. I have heart failure right now. And that was because at the beginning of my journey with that, I didn't want to go back because I received stigma at my doctor's office. So if, if I didn't receive that stigma at my weakest moment in, in time when I couldn't speak up for myself, if I didn't receive that stigma, maybe my condition wouldn't have gotten so bad. You know, maybe they could have caught it then, right? That's a lot of maybes, but I know for a fact that if, if, if I was able to go back, at least I would have started receiving medical care and attention a lot sooner. Absolutely. And I think that's the biggest hope is that folks that are, you know, struggling out there don't have to, because I don't know if any folks have ever, if you've been, you know, at receiving medical care and, and had to self-advocate and had to like stand up for yourself at the same time as, you know, like having, I'm just going to do a general one, having a broken leg, you know, it's like, or even having depression and having like all those barriers faced before you even go into the doctor's office and then having to like stand up for yourself and having to self-advocate. 
you know, and having to address, like, if somebody says something really shitty or toxic to you, you know, you have, I hope I can say that, but, um, you know, having to stand up for yourself in, in the face of stigma is, like, really difficult, you know, when, you, when you're in, you know, dire need. Absolutely, Sakani. And thank you so much for sharing, um, for sharing, you know, what you're going through. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and you're just such a wonderful um, speaker. So thank you. Um, and I, and, and I'm glad that um, you brought that up because it kind of leans into um, my next question is, you know, um, obviously since the pandemic started, so much has changed. There's been so much extra pressure and hardship on folks who've already been marginalized by the system. Um, and I, you know, in your experience and your expertise, kind of building on what you were saying, just from that experience of going to a doctor, which just proves that these conversations need to continue and are so important to have. Um, so we connect with our community and actually talk to each other. What can we do to better serve, you know, uh, folks experiencing homelessness, sex workers, drug users, um, you know, folks that don't necessarily, you know, in this pandemic, I think their situations were really shown like we are, we're failing these folks, you know? So what would you like to see happen? What can we better do? Oh God, what can we better do? Um, what can we do better? I, I think that's better I know. English. <laughs> I think, I know, and, and I know I get you because it's we, because it's a we conversation. You know, it's about all of us. You know, we all have a part to play in, 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 um, in stigma or in anything because, you know, how could we not? Like I've been you know, and I, I don't wanna try to stay away from the words, but brainwashed essentially by media and by, by you know, my religious beliefs and by, you know, the government in general, you know, and to having these like really toxic beliefs that have been, you know, permeating, perpetuating and, you know, coming out of my mouth for, for years, you know, and I think everybody is affected by that, you know, and I'm not saying this to give you all any leniency because I don't think anybody deserves any leniency. I think we all we all are able to to try do better. And and I think by trying doing better and you know having this we conversation is that we need to start listening to the people we're serving. We need to sit down with them and talk face to face. If I, I know that's difficult right now, but we need to talk to them and we need to say, what do you need and how can I help you and how can I support you in in being and doing the best that that you can and whatever that best looks like you know because my best is you know sitting smoking a joint and sitting and watching netflix sometimes and not getting out of bed so so you know and i think that's where the the conversations really need to go and really need to we really need to start throwing money at it we need to start funding it and we need to start paying people you know to, to have those conversations because at the end of the day, and I, I think of these these privileged conversations, the sense of if I'm going to go and talk to someone who's homeless or who's, you know, in a worse state than I am, what can I give them so that there's some sort of, and it's not going to be equal at the end of the day because they're going to be going, their home is going to be in an alley or their home is going to be in a tent, you know, how can I support them and what can I give them so that there's some sort of equity in the sense and also what is the reciprocity of them sharing? What am I gonna do to, to value that story and to make sure that I'm changing that narrative for the future? Because that's, that's all that we could do. 
you know, I don't know if that gets anybody or makes any sense. I I know I, I hear you saying, you know, in short, since be open minded and be open to listening. Um, there'll be so and you know it can change it can change everything. Hey, listen, I want everyone to find out more about Megaphone and the Speakers Bureau. Where do they go to do so? Uh, well, they would come to our website. You just look up Megaphone, um, Megaphone Magazine online on Google or whatever platform you use. I don't want to, I shouldn't, um, you know, plug anybody here other than <laughs> us. But yeah, mm-hmm. the Megaphone Speakers Bureau, come and look us up. Um, you can talk to myself or Krista and we can, you know, hook it up and come have these to difficult conversations that are really needed. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember attending one of the earlier speakers bureau when you guys were first like, you know, figuring out what it would look like and and launching it um, and inviting community. And they are really, really powerful conversations that really center the stories of that uh, lived expertise and lived experience. And and I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Sakani, thank you so, so much for coming on the show today and, and sharing with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you all for having me and just, you know, what is it? Say blessed everyone. Yeah, you can sort of see why she's one of my favorite folks Um, and and a fun thing. And I don't know if Sakani remembers this, um, but I do. Uh, When I was first um, brought on to Megaphone um, as the editor, like, I don't know, three, four years ago now, she was actually one of the first people on the first cover I ever did. Um, And it was, uh, the cover was about faces we love, recognizing organizations and people in the downtown Eastside community doing wonderful work. And she was um, with Pace Society, which is a sex worker advocacy group that also does peer work and support. And so that was my first interaction with her. And uh, it was just such a privilege to work with her at Megaphone. And now just as a supporter outside of Megaphone and still, you know, um, get to see the work that she's doing and support her along the way is, um, yeah, can see why I was excited to have her and tell her story because she's, she's just such a powerful speaker. Yes, and so much to learn too. And I think, um, you know, it reminds us that when people stigmatize people, the trauma it can cause and, and Sakani talking about and being open to sharing, hey, because of that stigma and because where I was in my life, I wasn't able to get the medical care that I needed. And, you know, if we would have done that, it would have prevented me from, you know, all this medical um, or where she is now, right? With this heart condition. And and Mm -hmm. people just have to think about that. So those difficult conversations are important. And uh, she's pushing those, those conversations forward, engaging people. This is how change happens. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, it's just, um, wonderful to provide that platform because these conversations are happening uh, where Megaphone is based, but I think it's something that that can be happening nationally and would love to see more of, of that, um, those conversations and, and centering of story. Um, so yeah, Michael, I guess um, that leaves us for today. A lot to think about and, and um, hear from Sakani's story. And uh, yeah, I guess I'll see you next week. We'll see you then. Thanks, Steph.
I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.